um, for this evening. Pull out your Bibles if you have your Bible. Um, If you do not have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible to keep. But if you've got a Bible, uh, go to John chapter 1 this evening, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week, and that is verse 19 tonight. John chapter 1 and verse 19. We're in the first several weeks of a series called Follow Jesus, and we are following Jesus as we walk through the gospel, the New Testament gospel of John. Um, Tonight's message I have entitled, Be a Messenger. Be a messenger. Um, What's going on here, to give us a little bit of context, in this first part of John chapter 1, we're going to get yet another little snapshot or a little glimpse of a man whose name was John the Baptist. Not John who wrote the book, but John the Baptist. And what's important to know about this guy, John the Baptist, is that he was a regular guy. He was a regular person like you and I. He did the things that you and I are capable of doing, but he was a messenger. He was a messenger for a guy who was anything but regular. Regular John was a messenger for irregular, profoundly amazing and incredible, and nothing normal about him, the man Jesus, who was and is God. And John the Baptist was his messenger. What's interesting is in this particular snapshot, you know, the world at John the Baptist's time and at Jesus' time here on earth was a world much like our own in that it was a world that was in incredible turmoil. It was a world that was in incredible chaos and I would say it was an incredible confusion. It was a world that was falling apart. It was a culture and and a, a... a kingdom, if you will, that was actively falling apart. And into that world, God sends John the Baptist. Some of the things that were going on at that moment, one of the reasons that Israel in particular, God's people, was struggling, was feeling confused and a little chaotic, was the prophets of the Old Testament had ceased to communicate. It had been at this point in their history almost 500 years since the last prophet had spoken, and that was the prophet Malachi who ends our Old Testament even today. And so the Jews had understood from the Old Testament that a Messiah was coming, and they were waiting and they were looking forward patiently and sometimes impatiently for this Messiah because what they were looking for was some sort of a savior from the oppressive government of Rome. They wanted freedom from the Roman Empire. And there were different men who showed up throughout that particular juncture in history and who would claim to be a Messiah or the Messiah. And what they would do is they would lead very short-lived political revolts against Rome and they would ultimately be crushed and defeated and the Jews would go back to waiting and going, when is our Messiah going to come? But misunderstanding all along what they were even looking for. And into that mess comes a man. His name is John the Baptist, and he comes profoundly. He comes powerfully. He comes with preaching, and he comes with a baptism of repentance, says the Scripture. And we're told that multitudes of people were coming and wanted to hear what he had to say. And many of them were listening, and they were believing, and they were receiving this baptism of repentance from John the Baptist. He came with a message. He came, though, with with the greatest message of all time. We're in the same situation. Our world is in the same situation. Our world is wrestling with the same questions and issues and turmoil and confusion. 
And you and I have been given that same message, the greatest message of all time. And just like John, regular guy John, we too can be a part of sharing that same message. The reality of knowing Jesus in the world that we live in forces us to ask some questions or questions are being asked of us. And maybe you've been asked questions like this. Who are you and what are you about? Whose team are you on? Or whose side are you on? Whose camp are you in? What do you really believe? Who do you follow? What message are you listening to? Or what message are you speaking? What message are you preaching about? And if someone were to ask you those sorts of questions, it's worth thinking about tonight, what would I tell them? What would I say? What would my message be? Tonight, Believe it or not, two, only two, they said it couldn't be done, but two applications from God's Word this evening. Very simply, they are these. Number one, be a messenger. And number two, share the message. Let's take a minute, though, and let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you have given us your Word And as always, God, we come before you with thankfulness and gratefulness that you have spoken to us that you have sent your son Jesus, the word incarnate, to us. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit and that you have brought new life, that you have sent the light of the world, that you have brought salvation, and it is here now. And so, Father, we desire to know you and to grow with you and to give our lives to you afresh, Lord. Fill us with your truth this evening, and God, let it not simply be something that comes inside and becomes stagnant, Father, but as you pour out your love and your mercy towards us, Lord, let us be an overflowing fountain such that your message, your truth, and your gospel might not only come into us, Lord, but that it might be multiplied out from us and into this world, Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So number one, be a messenger. Let's look at the scripture. We're going to open with the first half of this passage. This is verses 19 all the way through 28. Hear the word of the Lord. And this is the testimony of John. That is John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Be a messenger. A couple of different ways I think that this passage encourages us 
how, what it looks like to be a messenger for the best news of all time. The first thing that jumps out to me is that we ought to be a messenger to those who don't like the message. Do you notice who he's talking to? He's talking to people who don't like the message that he is bringing. He's being asked a question by a group that includes priests and Levites from Jerusalem who we're told a little bit later in the same passage are being sent by the Pharisees. This is not a great group of people. As you read through the New Testament, you get a better sense of who this group collectively tends to be. These are religious leaders of the day who are supposed to know God. They're supposed to know the Scripture And they should have known when Jesus showed up who he was. In fact, he told them who he was, but they didn't and wouldn't believe it. Because the scripture unloads for us that they they got lost in making up a whole lot of laws, particularly the Pharisees, got mixed up in making laws to add to the scripture as if God's word was not complete. They needed to add to it. And the motivation behind that was really for their own self-gratification and their own self-glory. Uh, these groups here, these are the groups that ultimately will be responsible for crucifying Jesus. That's who John the Baptist is giving an answer or giving the message to. And so they say to John, well, well who are you? And John is going to give them his message very clearly and very straight as we see. His audience is going to ultimately, for the most part, reject his message. These guys had lost sight of true religion. They were pursuing political motivations. They're pursuing power motivations. John the Baptist himself, if you know anything about his story, in a few years he himself will be beheaded by the political powers that be in Israel because he would call them to repentance as well. Some of you guys, you're going to speak to people a message that they don't necessarily want to hear. Or you're going to share a message that maybe you've shared before and their response has been, I don't want to hear that, but maybe you try again with the hopes that you hear something different. Because here's what we know about our Savior. Our Savior is one who changes hard hearts to beating hearts. Our Savior is one who changes dead hearts to living and beating hearts. Our Savior is one who can take one who is spiritually dead, which is all of us before we meet Christ, and make us alive. And so John the Baptist has an understanding of the reality of who it is that is behind this message. One of the ways that this really comes to fruition is a couple chapters later in John chapter 3, we meet a guy named Nicodemus, and we learn from John chapter 3 that Nicodemus is himself a Pharisee. And this Pharisee goes at night because he's afraid to go during the day. And he goes to Jesus and he basically says, how can I be saved? And and Jesus talks to him about being born again. And Nicodemus initially is very confused. Like his world, like his generation, and like his peers, he is confused. But in that story in John chapter 3, he he moves from confused to convicted. And ultimately, he he moves to being converted. And we know that because at the end of John, in John chapter 19, there is a guy who is preparing Jesus' body that has been crucified. Jesus' dead body, he's preparing it for burial. Who is that guy? It's Nicodemus. Why does that matter? Well, because that's a moment when basically all of Jesus' disciples had abandoned him. They had run away in fear of their culture, but not Nicodemus. 
in that moment, Nicodemus wants to make it 100% clear who it is that he believes and whose message he is speaking for. And so he is the one who is preparing Jesus' body for burial. It gives us hope that we ought to be bringing the message to people that may initially not want to hear what we have to say. I, I take another thing away, though, here. What does it mean to be a messenger? I think it also means be a messenger who is all about Jesus Christ. I mean, that's all over the page here, right? And what John the Baptist is saying, he begins very clearly, I am not the Christ, but let me point you to him. Uh, what John, the writer John, says here is, is pretty oddball. He says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed. This reminds me of one of my favorite phrases, uh, one of my favorite captions, which is the Department of Redundancy Department. Right? You heard about these? I was looking this stuff up the other day. I found what is now my new favorite sign. I found this, of course, on the internet through the power of Google. But the sign read this, notice. Thank you for noticing this new notice. Your noticing has been noted, and notification will be given to the notifier. That is basically what John is saying here. He is going out of his way. He wants to make it beyond abundantly clear to give notification, I am not the Messiah. It's not who I am. And the reason that he has to do that is because if he had said, yeah, I'm the guy, they absolutely would have believed him. So the temptation, the opportunity to bring glory to himself was there, but he makes it abundantly, even obnoxiously clear, I am not the Savior. In spiritual terms, for us, here's the reality. When I say I'm not the Savior, it is a spiritual reality that I understand that I am not the solution, but I know the solution. There are a whole, whole lot of people who are running around claiming to be messiahs of one sort or another, who are claiming to have the solutions. But John the Baptist makes it all about Jesus. And he says, what is an incredibly gospel-filled reality, I'm not the solution. See, we as people spiritually, we have a very hard time with the idea of salvation, generally. And that's what most keeps most people away from receiving Jesus as their Savior, is we don't like the idea that we're the problem. We like feeling like the solution, but the reality of the gospel begins with the bad news that we have a sin problem, that the problem is not just them over there, the problem is me over here. And so when I start with that reality, it helps inform how I share the good news with others. I can't fix it, but I know the one who can. It's all about Jesus. I know the Savior, the Savior of sinners who can fix our and my internal problem and bring the gospel of grace. I know the Jesus who saves. In John 1 and verse 12 that we looked at last week, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's the promise that we get to share as a messenger. Not only should we be a messenger that shares with people who maybe don't want to hear it, be a messenger that clearly communicates it's all about Jesus and not, not about me. But we should be a messenger who is all about humility. And John the Baptist, in his next words, gives us some pretty radical humility to think about. He uses what is really a pretty offensive phrase here. He says, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He is saying, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, he is so holy, he is so powerful, he is so other. I'm not even worthy, guys, to help him take off his sandals. 
And that may or may not resonate with you. You may or may not have taken somebody else's sandals off today. But you got to understand in that culture, the last thing anybody wanted to do was touch anybody's shoes, not even their own, because they were incredibly filthy. And other literature from that time tells us that like the last thing that anybody would do would, was that to take somebody's shoe off. It was reserved for the lowest of the low. It was reserved for the lowest of, of slaves. In fact, there are other places where it's written outside of Scripture. Rabbis would teach that they wouldn't even ask their disciples to do that. This is incredibly humble on John the Baptist's part. But what he's trying to do is make a clear case for how big of a deal Jesus is by communicating with humility. Later on, John chapter 3, verse 30 John the Baptist is going to say one of the most profound and yet simple phrases, I think, in all of Scripture. He just says this, John chapter 3, verse 30, He must increase and I must decrease. Guys, that's a blueprint for life. That's a blueprint for hope. That's a blueprint for strength and success in this life is He must increase and I must decrease. See, the messenger here doesn't get in the way of the message. Right? The message is so important. I don't want to get in the way of people hearing and understanding and knowing Jesus. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. See, John is teaching us not only that, but he's, he's helping us think not of ourselves first. That's a pretty radical concept. Oh, other people first. I want to put other people first. I want other people to know Jesus so bad that I'm willing to live in humility and say, me second, with my time, my energy, my resources, my conversations, with my pride, my agenda, I want to put other people first so that they too can follow Jesus, so that they too can know Jesus and experience his grace and glory. Because here's what I've learned in my own life. The more that I follow Jesus, the more that I see and experience his grace, the more I am very okay with putting other people first. The more that I see the way that he put himself second for me, the more that I joyfully go, you know what, whatever it takes for someone else to know that same kind of joy, that same kind of love and hope and eternal security, that's what I want to be about. In Philippians chapter 2, the scripture adds this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. One more way I think we can be a messenger here, which is be a messenger whose identity is in Jesus. Be a messenger whose identity is found in Jesus. In other words, who you are is built upon who he is. We are among a generation of people who have no idea who they are. And they are running to all of the worst possible things as a solution. Who you are is only and always found in who he is. And is the best gift ever. And so John, when finally saying, okay, I'm not Jesus, when he wants to tell who he is, he says this. He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Well, what's he mean? He's going back 700 years 
to quote the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, who says those exact words. And his point is, my identity, what I do, who I speak about, what I speak and what I live is all about Jesus, and my identity is found in him. His next sentence, he says, my job is to make straight the pathway for the Lord. He's literally saying, I'm just a workman on the road, and what I'm doing is clearing out the obstacles and making a clear path so that Jesus can make it to you. That is what his identity was built around. But there's not just that. Understand, too, that behind that, as we learn more about John the Baptist, we see that John the Baptist, like us, regular guy who loves Jesus, that he was loved by Jesus and he was called by Jesus. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, listen to this. Jesus says this, Among those born of women, there has never arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Jesus himself says that about John. That's the amount of love that he had for John the Baptist. Did you know in Luke chapter 1, at the very beginning of his gospel, we're told that John the Baptist, from the moment of conception, was filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that tell you about God's love for John? What does that tell you about God's love for children in the womb? John the Baptist had the Holy Spirit from conception, from before he was born. And the bigger part of that story is God sends an angel. Just like he sends an angel to Mary to announce the birth of Jesus, he sends an angel to Elizabeth, who was old and barren and who had never been able to have kids. And God sends this angel and says, you are going to have a child. You should name him John. He grows up to be John the Baptist. And that angel, even in that moment, promises, listen, John the Baptist is going to be used in a powerful way by God to bring joy to your people, Israel. He is going to be used in a powerful way by God to turn people's hearts from darkness to salvation. That's the kind of love, the kind of calling, the kind of identity that we are all given as regular believers following after Jesus, called to be messengers. I cannot reiterate. I think the biggest mistake that we could make in reading a passage like this is to think, Okay, only John the Baptist could do that kind of stuff. Only John the Baptist is called or gifted in those ways. No, 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 no. Every single one of us, if we have been given salvation in the Holy Spirit, we are called to be a messenger just like him. I have been incredibly um, blessed and encouraged this week in particular just seeing you guys living that out. I'm telling you what you already know, and I'm telling you what you're already living out. Um, one of our own church family here at New City, um, she has been sharing the gospel with a beloved neighbor who's become a close friend for almost 10 years. And they would both tell you that over the course of that time, what was so important was conversations around grace, um, a genuine friendship that was created, times of praying, times of walking through difficult circumstances together, of listening well. But um, we have a new sister in Christ because this neighbor uh, accepted Jesus as her personal Lord and Savior just in these last couple weeks. I just found out this week that is what this story is talking about. That's real life. That's what we're here for. So we praise God for moments like that. 
Um, I am so incredibly thankful for what just happened this morning. Um, we gave you guys like 17 hours notice, and half the church showed up at a, a neighbor, one of our church family, her neighbor, who needed to be served. And you guys showed up and physically demonstrated in powerful ways the love of Jesus Christ that is allowing conversations also to take place so that the spiritual reality of the love of Jesus Christ can go forward to this incredibly sick woman who needs love and who needs Jesus most of all. I'm so thankful for ways that you guys are, are finding to live this out, to be a messenger. And, and as it takes place, I think we realize a couple things. Man, that was awesome. That was powerful. That was important. And I enjoyed that. I'm taking joy in being able to be a messenger for Jesus Christ. Amen? So be a messenger. It's that simple. But John wants to take a second and also tell us what's the message. So let's, number two, let's look at share the message. John the Baptist wants to make it very clear, and here is yet another moment where we get sort of a, a little snippet of a sermon from John the Baptist. This is verses 29 through 34. The scripture goes on to say this. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him, on Jesus. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. That's the message that we share. John tells us that Jesus is the Lamb of God. John literally sees Jesus walking up. That guy, he is the Lamb of God. Again, that phrase may or may not make a whole lot of sense to us in 2020 America, but for the Jews who are waiting for the Messiah, for the Jewish people who have read their Old Testament, this means everything. They're being told very clearly that Jesus, the Lamb of God, has come to pay for sins. They're being told that Jesus, the Lamb of God, has come to sacrifice himself as a payment or a propitiation for their sins. This is hope. This is life. How do they know that? Because John the Baptist just used one of the most loaded terms or concepts or moments in their entire culture. This goes all the way back. Think about Abraham and Isaac, if you know that story in Genesis chapter 22. And Abraham is about to slaughter his own son Isaac, and God sends a lamb, to take Isaac's place so that Isaac would be saved. In Leviticus 14, among many places, we learn about a lamb being a specific sin or guilt offering or sacrifice. That is, that God would instruct the people that they would physically place their hand on that lamb and indicate that the guilt that they carried for their sin, that it was being placed on that lamb, and that lamb would die in their place. 
And they looked at that and understood what was taking place, but they understood that ultimately that lamb, that physical lamb, was not enough. Exodus chapter 12, we get the Passover story. Remember the Passover story and the Passover lamb. Well, they kill that lamb and they take the blood of that lamb and they smear it over every doorpost of every believer there that was in prison in Egypt. And the blood of the lamb protected them from God's justice. So the Israelites are getting a sense of what's going on here. They knew Isaiah chapter 53 that said specifically, prophesied 700 years earlier, quote, he was led like a lamb to slaughter. All of these perfectly fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah, every single one. Jesus is our substitute. Jesus took our place, the place that we deserve. Because of Jesus, our sin debt is paid. Because of Jesus, our punishment was taken away. Amen? And then John says, this is Jesus, the one who takes away the sins of the world. He's the Savior whose blood was spilled to take away. This is bloody. This is messy. We sing a song, Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus because His blood saves the world from their sins. And that's the message that we get to share, that the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. Abraham and Isaac, they prophesied his sacrifice. The Passover applied the sacrifice. Isaiah personified the sacrifice. John here identifies the sacrifice. And at the very end of the book, Revelation glorifies the sacrifice. Look at Revelation. This is a powerful passage, Revelation chapter 5, tying the whole story of Scripture together. Verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's us. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus is the one who has and who gives freely the Holy Spirit of God. John the Baptist himself saw this in action. He tells us, he says, I saw the Holy Spirit come down after I physically baptized him with water. I saw the Holy Spirit come down on Jesus and remain on him. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 3 verse 17 says, And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. 
God the Father from heaven sending the Holy Spirit down audibly with his voice says to John the Baptist and all those in his hearing, this man Jesus is my son. He is God. He has the Holy Spirit on him and with him and is him. John says, I've seen it and I bear witness. This man is the son of God. He sent me to baptize with water for repentance, but this man comes to baptize and fill people with the Holy Spirit. Understand that when you are saved, the moment that you receive Jesus, the Son of God, as your personal Lord and Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit as well. Jesus has and He gives the Holy Spirit. At the moment of your conversion, you are saved Your eternity is secure in heaven, and at that same moment, you are given the Holy Spirit within you, His power in your life. That's the good news of the gospel. Guys, my encouragement to you is to share that message. Two practical ways in closing that I think that we can really do this sharing the message well that that I see here in this passage. The first is this. Let me just encourage you, don't water down the message. Or in other words, share the true message. Share the truth. Don't hide the parts that our culture doesn't like. Is this bloody? Yes. Is sin serious? Yes. Is death real? Yes. Am I personally responsible for my sin? Yes. Is there only one hope in salvation? Yes. Share the true message and don't hold back on the parts that our culture may not like. Because here's the reality, guys. Culture changes every day, every five minutes. Every time you go to check in and see what's going on, it's different. Every time you go to check in and find out, okay, what's truth? It's changed. God doesn't change. God's truth doesn't change. Certainly God's word doesn't change. And the truth of the gospel and the hope of salvation doesn't change. So don't water down the message. If you love them, share the gospel of love with them. But secondly, think about this. Share the message in a, here's a big five-syllable word, contextualized way. Share the truth but shared in a contextualized way. And I think John the Baptist gives us a great sort of example of what that looks like. He wants to talk to them about Jesus being a lamb of God. The Israelites understand that first because they've read it in the scriptures, but they also understand it because their entire culture wrapped around animals. This is an agrarian, a farming culture. They did lamb stuff every day. Here in sunny Palm Bay, Florida, I don't do lamb stuff all that often. But there are a whole lot of things going on in my world that people have questions about, things that people are talking about, that we can talk about those things and I can help them understand how Jesus fits into that. How the solution to that problem is Jesus. Uh, So if we're talking about poverty, so many people are struggling specifically right now in their finances. I can help them understand that, listen, way bigger than a financial solution is the riches of God's grace. 
God, frankly, may or may not answer your financial question, but what he can do is give you the greatest, richest, most expensive gift of all time that will always last for free. I can contextualize the message of the gospel. A lot of people are sick or they're concerned and they're worried about becoming sick. And you can talk to them about a Jesus who absolutely was and is a miracle worker and who can heal sickness and disease but came ultimately to heal our spiritual sickness. To heal a sickness that would always end in death and that Jesus is the only way to heal our illness of sin that leads to death, but through Jesus we can have eternal life. There are people that that are more aware than ever that death is a real thing. We all know it, but we do a good job of sort of keeping it at a distance. But right now, people are, they're aware. There are people who are afraid, and rightfully so. But we can talk to them about, I don't have to live in fear anymore. I don't have to live in fear of death anymore because I know Jesus Christ who has offered and given me for free eternal life. He has forgiven my sins and given me that. People who are talking about and wrestling with and asking questions about and seeking resolution and hope in the midst of one form of injustice or or another. I hear the word every single day. And what we can do is, in having those conversations, help them understand that we live in an unjust world. And the worst injustice of all time was the moment when the perfect, righteous Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, was killed for sins that he didn't commit. It's the ugliest, most unjust moment of all time. And he did it willingly to pay for the justice that you and I deserve. I deserve God's justice for my sin. And Jesus took care of it. So as these things are happening, we can contextualize the unchanging message of the gospel. Talking about following Jesus. If you're you're hearing these things for the first time or you're hearing these things in a fresh way, you're going, you know, I've heard about Jesus before. I understand the things that you're saying. But I'm hearing you say that Jesus sacrificed himself so that even I could be sinned. Today is the day to consider your spiritual and eternal reality. Are you trusting in the shed blood of Jesus on your behalf personally? He died so that you could be saved, reborn into new life. John 1.12, to all who received him, he gave the right to be children of God. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Do you need to today repent meaning turning away from the life that you've lived and saying, Jesus, save me. I admit I can't do it. I admit I'm a sinner. I do things wrong all the time. I deserve punishment for that, but Jesus, would you save me? I want an eternal place in heaven. Forgive me of my sins. I repent. I turn away from things that don't work, and I choose to trust and follow you, Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus already, let me just encourage us to to think about this question or to, to remember Jesus gave you his Holy Spirit. Where you are struggling, you have all that you need. Where you are feeling guilty or overwhelmed or hopeless, you have within you the Spirit of God. 
And one of the questions we can be asking ourselves is, are we submitting ourselves and obeying the Spirit of God, or are we resisting it? Believer, where are you and the Holy Spirit? Where do we, where do you need to repent and say, God, I constantly find myself trying to do it my way, and I'm sorry. Help me follow you. Follow your way. And believer, have you had the experience, have you had the opportunity to share the message, to invite someone else to make the life-changing decision that you have made yourself in the past? If you have not, seize the day. Seize the opportunity to share the good news of the message of Jesus Christ.